And there's always that person at the party who's like, oh, I can put my fist in my mouth. Yeah. And you're like, I didn't need to see that. <laughs> Hey, Maniacs. Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies. Oh, boy, this episode has some loonies and everything we love. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. <laughs> and just to let you know, uh, before we start the podcast, if uh, the show is too much for your kids, like... Uh, Ronald's bare ass is a little too much for your kids. Then, <laughs> it was too much for me. Then the podcast is probably too much for them. But if can I wa- sit this one out? I don't, they, I don't think so. If they watch the show <laughs> and can handle Ronald's bare ass, then they can handle the podcast. They can handle the podcast. Hey, we're back. Yeah. Thanks everybody for being patient with us and being understanding. It really sucks to be without power. I'm just going to say that right off the bat. It does. You just spend the whole day going, oh, I know, I'll do... No, I can't do that. Well, I'll do... Mm, no, I can't do that. Makes you realize how dependent you are on electricity. Yeah, we couldn't even, like, get the DVDs out of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> we hope everybody's doing okay. Yes, we hope that everybody is healthy and happy. This is... Craziness is still continuing to go on, but we're glad that you take a moment out of your crazy day and spend it with us. And hey, maybe it helps you pass the time. I've we heard hope so. It. I've heard it. You know what else spell, uh, helps you pass the time? What? Uh, going on Reddit. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Why would that be? Oh, because I have wrestled control of the R Midsummer Murders subreddit. So if you're not familiar with Reddit, it's an online bulletin board system. R E D D I T. And on it, there are boards for different things. And they're called subreddits, right? Reddit is the master, and then there are subreddits. And you name it, there's a subreddit for it. Any show that you like, there's a subreddit for it. If you like to bake cookies, there's a subreddit just for that. Yes, there are hundreds of thousands of them. Very not niche. millions. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there's a our Midsummer Murders, and it has had some trouble lately. Well, whoever was moderating it before obviously had some kind of life issue and couldn't do it anymore and had stopped. So the the whole subreddit had kind of frozen up. Nobody could post. Yeah, no one could post, and no one you could reply to comments, but the moderator was absent. Right. It was basically abandoned. And since Reddit can be the Wild West, a moderator is important because... It's like hosting a party. You know, if you invite a bunch of people over to your house and then you leave, what's going to happen? They're going to trash your house, right? So moderators are really key on Reddit. And without one, a, a subreddit just kind of freezes up and becomes a ghost town. And there are nearly a thousand people who subscribe to this Reddit, right? Right. So through the process that Reddit suggests, I asked for control of the subreddit and was given access to that control earlier this week and have basically gone in and shined everything up and spit polished everything. And there's posts coming in every day now. 
like awesome midsummer bingo cards and yep. questions about episodes. And, you know, it's not a midsummer maniac subreddit. Nope. It's for midsummer murders. So everybody is welcome. But it's another awesome place to to touch base with other people who also like the show and ask funky questions and share little insights. Well, I'm actually hoping eventually to have other moderators because I don't want it to be seen purely as a vehicle for the podcast. Right. We're going to post about the podcast, but it's not a subreddit about the podcast. Nope. So as other people kind of step up and post quite a bit, we'll know that there are other people who might want to become moderators. Yep. Absolutely. It's good to share that so that that doesn't happen again. Yeah. Because if you won the lottery or something. Later. And disappear. Suckers. <laughs> somebody else could, could maintain it, right? I'm sorry. I can't do a Midsummer Maniacs episode from my yacht. Oh, yeah, we could. Yeah, we could. We'd still do it. We'd still do it. <laughs> so speaking but of boy, that. boy, we'd have production values. Oh, yeah. We'd have like bumpers and everything. <laughs> It'd be all professional-like. Yeah. We have a 16-man crew now. Yeah. <laughs> So this week we're talking about season eight, episode one, things that go bump in the night. Episode 36, 36 episodes. Should be things that go bonk in the night. Yeah, there's some bonk in here. Woo. You know what goes bump in the night? It's disturbing. It's jumblies. Ah, <laughs> Ronald Saggy Jumblies. Yep. There's a title for you. Yep. <laughs> Oh, I feel sick all over again. So, filmed in May and December, uh, May and June of 2004, and broadcast 10th of October 2004, 8.56 million viewers. This is where we begin to see the downturn in viewership in television. Yeah, in general. Yeah, in general. Across the board, not just Midsummer. The fact that Midsummer was still getting 8 million viewers is. Incredible, it, but we're gone are the days of 13 and 15 million viewers for episodes the way that X-Files was in the 80s and the 90s and yeah. things like that. And, and soon we will start to see numbers about how many times it's been streamed or how many DVD sales there were yeah. and things like that, because the, the live broadcast just isn't the main place where people see it. Yes. I remember I started to get into this show in 2005, 2006. And so I remember watching them going, wait a minute, there's new episodes. <laughs> the show's still going on. Wow. <laughs> uh, directed by Peter Smith and written by Peter J. Hammond. It is just a crazy episode. Yes. This is one of the, I think, you know, like written in blood. And this one are, iconic just crazy people yes committing murders i don't know what you people in the villages in england are doing in the water supply but you're all loony like murders where the motive just doesn't make sense to anybody with half a grain of sense yeah but that's what makes it so awesome you would absolutely (laughs) get to a point where you would go no let's not do that yeah (laughs) most people would say you know, I don't have to kill him. I could just divorce him. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that would no, be okay. No, no, no. We have to have an elaborate plan involving your jumblies. <laughs> oh. oh, boy. And never mind the spiritualist church and all of that weirdness. Oh, the crystal goddess. I have so much to talk about with the crystal goddess. I'm going to say right off the top that you and I are not the kind of people who are 
into spiritualism or crystals or alternative medicine or anything like that. I know there are people who are, and that's totally fine. You know, that's your business. That's your thing. And I will apologize in advance if we offend you with our sarcastic approach towards those things. But in this, in this setting, in this episode, they are clearly to be taken with a grain of salt. And Barnaby is, you know, a hero of that. Yeah. Like he doesn't take any of it at all. No, no. It's like, whatever you're doing, that's fine. You're not hurting anybody. But he also doesn't buy into any of it. So let's let's start with Rosetta. Yes. And the pyramid of protection. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm getting offend so many people. I in this know. Episode. I know. But, you know, she didn't make that up. No. Where does she get it from? Oh, it comes from all kinds of places. Yeah. A, a pyramid is seen as a shape of power. And, you know, if you just Google it, you'll find hundreds of pages of people referencing this idea that you meditate and sort of pray to the universe for protection, for protection for yourself and, to, you know, to keep good vibes coming in and, and repel bad things. And a pyramid is the common kind of shape that you um, that you imagine in your head to be surrounding you. What, what I don't know. OK, and I'm going to be very serious here is I don't know how those people kept a straight face when she went into the Charlotte character. Sorrow. I would have been laughing my ass off. So much sorrow. (laughs) Well, and notice the camera never shows the audience and Rosetta's face at the same time. So they may have been smirking their heads off. (laughs) (laughs) They filmed it separately. Yeah. Well, okay. There's so many things about this meeting, including... The chairs. They're really nice chairs. This, All of the chairs are nice. So what you don't know is the outside of the spiritual church is actually Ink Pen Manor. Oh. Yeah. Which has been used many times. Yes. And I think the ink pens have sold it all. And that's why all the furniture is there. <laughs> In my weird midsummer fan fiction universe. Well, you know, I just know that like usually when you see an event like that, if it's a church, then it's in a church and there are like pews and yeah. you know, our prearranged seating mm-hmm. arrangements, right? But in a meeting like this, it's usually like stacking chairs or folding chairs, but no. Everyone is sitting in what looks to be like a hand-carved chair with a velvet-covered seat. And if you watch any Antiques Roadshow, you know... You're expecting one of those guys from Antiques Roadshow to show up any minute and talk to you about the history of these chairs. Yeah, they look like they'd be worth a couple hundred bucks a piece, and they don't stack up or anything. No. But when people get out of them, they just shove them all over the place. Shove them all (laughs) over the place. Every time you see that room when it's not being used for the church... The chairs are all disarrayed. <laughs> it's like people just, when it's over, they just go, let me out of here. And they just shove the chair aside. <laughs> One of the things that the spirit uh, guide mentions is a five-barred gate. Yes, because Rosetta has her guiding spirit, Charlotte, who's a little girl who died when her dress caught on fire. Right? Yes. And she's the one that she channels to tell her things about people in the audience. And she describes... A five-barred gate in her vision. So you know what a five-barred gate is? No. It's a long gate with five bars. Like an extra wide one? No, like one you could drive a car through. Oh, yeah, like a road-wide. Yeah, like a road-wide gate. <sighs> but not like a, a gate you'd have at your front door with your little picket fence. No, I was expecting interesting things. So it's like a farm gate? 
Yeah. Okay. Not so interesting. What is interesting, though, is Rosetta. Let's just talk about her for a second. Okay. It's interesting that... Her fringe? Ugh. I know. But we've had episodes of Midsummer prior to this one, and there are more to come that have this kind of like spiritualist or fringy kind of group. And the way they're usually treated is pretty hippy dippy, right? Yeah, I like mean the the golden stallion or whatever it was called. Right. At the manor. Flowing robes and, you know, long hair and flowers and that kind of thing. Rosetta is much more of a polished business person sort of spiritualist. Who is She's a different all school. All about the money. All about the money. She wears an identical outfit every time she holds her meetings. Yep. Right. Who owns this compound? The ink pen. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> no. Like, is Rosetta supposed to be the owner of this Tudor mansion? Or are they renting it? It's, or uh, It's expected to be a church, but it doesn't look like a church. And who owns it? And Well, and I'm fine that it doesn't look like a church, a, like a typically Christian church. That makes sense to me. It doesn't matter where you meet, right? Like the widows don't live here. No. And Rosetta doesn't live there either because Eve says Rosetta will be here in a minute. Yeah. And we see her driving up in her car. So she doesn't live there either. So maybe they just rent that room from someone? I don't know. So Eve Whittle helps out with the church, and she's a true believer. Yeah. And her husband, what is his name again? John. John. He goes along with it. He doesn't believe any of this malarkey. Now, he's a bit of an asshole, yeah. and we'll get to him. But He cares for Eve. He cares for so Eve. So he helps out. He's, yeah. like a, he's a handyman anyway. So She says, I believe, and... He says, I know you do. So that's why I help out. Yeah. But someone leaves the meeting. person who leaves the meeting is Thomas Marr. Thomas Marr leaves the meeting and goes to a gold mine. But before we get to the gold mine that is the crystal goddess, Patrick. We have Pennyman. the first murder. Patrick Manyman comes home. He thinks there's something in the viewing room. Oh, boy. The chapel it, of rest. The chapel of rest. So Janet and Patrick own a funeral home, yeah. but he runs it and they live above it and she has nothing to do with it. He leaves her out of it completely. And then he's shocked and then we cut to Janet. Right. And what we're not being told here is this is a completely different time. Yeah. Right. So Janet goes downstairs and she finds Patrick. Well, after she sets the table for their dinner with the wateriest vegetables I've ever seen in oh, a dish. So like floating in water. There is some food problems. He's with not going to miss her cooking. No, no. And she does her thing. Patrick. Patrick. <laughs> and finds him brutally dead, having seemingly cut his own wrist. And the- if you look closely, though, he's got two slices on each wrist. Now, how you could do that, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, she runs outside. And then, speaking of eating, <laughs> tries to eat her own hand. <laughs> In so, our house, the, short, the shorthand for this episode is just the, eat your fist, eat it, eat it. And I know she, immediately which episode you're talking she about. She runs outside <laughs> and... She's supposedly so overwrought. Let me tell you, she's one of the killers. Well, um, they all know that. Yeah, that she's like putting her hand to her mouth in 
intense grief and some people come over and help her. So that gesture. Yeah. Right. People cover their mouths for lots of different reasons. So um, some people cover their mouth when they, of course, you cover your mouth when you cough. Yes. Everybody better be doing that. You better be doing that. Wash your hands. (laughs) Wash them, Jezebel. Wear a a mask, Jezebel. (laughs) So some people cover their mouths out of propriety. Like if they're laughing too hard and they feel like they're being over the top, they cover their hand as a way of kind of apologizing for that. Yeah. And so you'll see people like, hee, 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 they cover their, you know, their mouth. Yeah. No, they can't see me do that. But you can see me do that. Yes, I can see Um, you. But- more than anything, that gesture, the covering the mouth with your whole hand or with a bent hand, like if you curl your fingers and put those to your mouth, or if you sort of like bite your knuckles, that kind of motion yeah. is the brain subconsciously instructing you to suppress something you feel is deceitful. Oh. That's what psychologists say. Mm. So when little kids lie. Yeah. They will bend both of their hands into kind of loose fists and put them up to their, like under their mouth. Yeah. You know, like on their chins mm-hmm. and they'll tell you a lie. Yeah. Because their brain is actually trying to stop them from saying it. Do you think that's going on here or do you think we're reading into this too much? I think it's both. I think in a, she's pretending to be overwhelmed, right? So she's trying to act as aggrieved as possible. Great actress, not the best cook. But she knows that she's also playing at this because she's known he's dead for quite a while. Like a couple of hours, I think. I guess. Um, And so, yeah, so she eats her own fists. Yeah. I don't know. In my life, I have had a few occasions where I have been overwhelmed by sudden grief and i've never wanted to shove my fist in my mouth no me neither (laughs) and there's always that person at the party who's like oh i can put my fist in my mouth and you're like i didn't need to see that (laughs) but she runs out and and looks left and right her eyeballs like i gotta find some people somebody's gotta notice me out here screaming (laughs) in slow-mo and and she does. She finds Anne Marr and somebody else who she's walking with uh, who can come to comfort her and be there supposedly when she has found the body, close to when she's found the body. Eat your hand. You know who else is eating? Joyce is eating out at a restaurant with her friend Elizabeth. Yeah. And Tom's making dinner. Poor Joyce is never going to have a friend. No. Because either they turn out to be killers or victims. Yep. Or some kind of accomplice. Yeah. She just doesn't know how to choose friends. She does not know how to choose friends. And Barnaby has no idea how to cook. What is he trying to make? I'm thinking soup. He's just dumping things but from cans into a pot. But he has a cookbook open. Yeah, that's not helping him dump things into a pot. And he takes the pot from the dirty dishes that has some liquid in it and throws it in the sink and then just pours the can. I know. I'm disappointed in Barnaby for doing that. He would be a better cook than that. I think so. I think I think he would at least want a clean pan. Maybe not fastidious. I, I can see him being the kind of person who leaves a little bit of a mess after he cooks. But who wants to eat out of a dirty dish? Well, and Cully is here to have a conversation with him. <laughs> Otherwise, she has no reason to be there. And then we see Joyce and Elizabeth out at the restaurant. 
At let's, the worst restaurant in the universe. Let's call it Shea Crappy Food. Yes. Because <laughs> not only can they not get service from a waiter, but the food that we see being served looks like three-day-old pasta with, like... Chef Boyardee just dolloped on top of right it. Right in the middle and just on the top. Yeah. Like, maybe you shouldn't be worried about that salad. If it looks anything like that pasta does, and I wouldn't want it. The whole salad thing is a big... Set up for a joke at the end where she goes, I can't even contact the living. Yeah. Which it's weird because, okay, Elizabeth is Joyce's friend. We don't know how they met. We don't know how they met. But she's lost her parents mm-hmm. and she is trying to figure out if these mediums had anything to do with it. Right. Because her dad died and then her mom started to go to Scarlet's church and then died after, soon afterwards. Yeah. And it's kind of implied that the mediums pushed them to it. Yes. Right. Or at least pushed her mother over the edge. But when we're first introduced to Elizabeth, she's like a happy-go-lucky person. I think Joyce likes her because she's an adventurous person. She's single, no kids, does what she wants to do, uh, and is a bit more adventurous than Joyce is. And she does seem like a genuinely nice person. Yeah. And she and Joyce seem to get along. So... It's unfortunate that she gets murdered. Speaking of murder, Tom Barnaby is on the scene. He's interrupted in his dumping of cans into a pot. But 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 Scott's not there until the morning. But he has WPS Julie to help him. She's WPS, not WPC. WPC, sorry. Okay, she's a constable, not a sergeant. Yes. They figure out, because of Georgie, Georgie Bullard, good news, it's murder. <laughs> Cheerful news, he didn't kill himself. Thanks, Georgie. With a candlestick. The biggest whacker ever. Is that candlestick ginormous? That is massive. It is way out of scale for that chapel of rest. (laughs) It's like a cathedral candlestick. It's huge. So Barnaby goes back and forth with the wife. And finally she says, poor Patrick. (sighs) She does a, a, this actress, her, the actress's name is Mary Jo Randall. She is equally good at being absolutely bereaved as she is being absolutely crazy. She's maniacally loony, crazy. Looney Tunes. She does episode. a good job at both. Yep. Can, we t- can we talk about the funeral home for just a second? Yes. Because even when Janet runs out into the street, having just discovered her husband's body, there are some things wrong with this funeral home. We will talk one second. Okay. Okay. There's a scene right after this where she says, poor Patrick, that they're at the Crystal Goddess, and we'll get to the Crystal Goddess. There's a whole Crystal Goddess section to this podcast, and it's raining. Okay? So after she runs out in the street, at some point in time, it's raining. Mm -hmm. Okay, now go back to what you're going to say. (laughs) The reason why the rain might be important, if I know where you're going, is that you can see it behind her when she runs out of the house, and many, many times later, there's like a rear drive to the funeral home, which makes absolute sense. You need yes, someplace for the hearses to come and pull go. Pull the hearse back in right? there. But, but in that same space, there's just a rack of caskets sitting out in the rain. Okay. A rack, I understand, but it's not like they're just leaning up against... Oh, wait. No, never mind. Just leaning up against the building? There's caskets leaning up like against Halloween the building. Like Halloween props? Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And a giant sign that says funeral director. Like they're... Hanging you over the head that this is where they are. Hey, did you notice? This is a funeral home. Hey, Hey. did you notice? There's Uh, some caskets. That means it's a funeral home. Okay. 
I'm older than you, right? I'm perfectly healthy and in a great situation, but there's a possibility I shuffle off the mortal coil before you. If that's the case, I don't want an outside casket. (laughs) (laughs) But I might get a deal. You might. If I'm willing to buy one of the ones that have been out in the rain for a month. (laughs) I mean, what do you care if it's soggy? I I don't think this is a British thing. I think this is an episode thing that they have caskets leaning up against the side of the building. It is a, we don't have any place else to make it totally clear that this is a funeral home, except outside where there's a bit more room. (laughs) (laughs) And I looked this up because I thought... Okay, what what if we're assuming some things, right? What if these are caskets that will soon be used? Weatherproofed. Well, they don't have any funerals on the books. No. Right? So these are not they caskets that. that have been ordered and have no they have no place to store them. Nope. Until they're used. No. Nope. Um, I looked into whether funeral homes typically keep a uh, a few caskets in stock. They and- usually have for lack of a better word, a showroom. They have a showroom, right? So they have one of each kind that they recommend, and then they've got a catalog, and they get them fairly quickly when they order them, unless it's yeah. a custom thing. It's it's pretty fast, right? And I don't know if folks know this listening, but because we're in Indiana, we know this. The second largest casket manufacturer in the world, the Batesville Casket Company, yep. is in Indiana. It's like a half an hour drive from where we live. Yep. So I looked into this to see. So we see trucks on the road oh, all the time. All the time. Um, yeah. But funeral directors do not pre-order caskets like this. They don't keep them in stock just in case. They're very expensive and they can't afford to do that. Even the ones they have on display are usually kind of on loan. Yeah. From the distributors. There's also no security there. So if I wanted a casket. You could just walk up and take it. I don't know why I would. Especially the one that's upside down, leaning against the garage. Yeah, just pick it up. It looks like a super cheapy one. That shape of casket, that like traditional stereotypical shape of casket is never used anymore. You never see one that is like narrow at the feet and wide at the shoulders. Only in old timey Western movies. And vampire movies. Yes. (laughs) But they've got them sitting outside. Like, no wonder they're not making much money. I want to kill your husband. And put him in a casket in the driveway. I guess. (laughs) It's just weird. I I feel bad for the set dressers. I know sometimes they have, like, really small spaces that they have to, to decorate appropriately. And clearly somebody was like, I don't know where you want me to put these things. I'll just, I'll put them outside. That's the best place I can put them. In the rain. So Thomas Marr owns the Crystal Goddess, Mm -hmm. which is a real shop. Mm -hmm. Well, it was a real shop. It's not a real shop anymore. But he has some problems at the first here because he doesn't know if he's opening the store or closing the store. It's dark. I would think that's past closing time for a crystal shop. I would think. But he he leaves Rosetta's to go back to his shop and seemingly open it. He goes in and starts turning on all the lights like he's open for business. And he fondles crystals like... For no reason at all. Well, he's kind of like straightening things out and everything. But when his sister comes in, uh, Anne. Who is a real healer. Uh, yeah. Don't even get me started. But when Anne comes in and says, hey, Patrick is dead. He just picks up a purple rock. This particular rock? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why he does it. I don't know either. The Barnabys have a new kitchen. They have like four houses. Yeah. Right? In this 
in the show run and this is before a new Tom season, retires. So that things happen. Places where ag- you film before, right, but they don't acknowledge it's a new place. Nope. And it doesn't really matter. No. The one thing that struck me was that they have two refrigerators in that kitchen. Two? What kind of person has two refrigerators? Not many people in the UK. I, well, I'll tell you that. Okay. For those of you who don't know, UK kitchens are whack jobs. Okay. I hate to be so blunt, but they have the washer and the dryer in the kitchen. Sometimes no is, dryer at all. Which is usually the same appliance. Yeah. Europeans do not have dryers like we do. They have little tiny fridges. Yes. And they have no water pressure. <laughs> <laughs> Their small refrigerators are acceptable to them because they go shopping more frequently than we do. Okay. Right? Okay. And they're not pushed to stock up on everything like we in the U.S. think we have to all the time. Yes. Right? So uh, a U.S. refrigerator is on average 27% larger than the average U.K. refrigerator. Ah. So not everybody in the UK is living out of a little dorm refrigerator like you see sometimes in France and places like that. Yes, they are. But to have two refrigerators, two full-size, basically, refrigerators is rare. What is Joyce putting in those things? I don't know. It's only the two of them. How much food do they need? Okay. If it was just you and I here in the house, we would have one fridge. We need to be honest. We have two refrigerators. We do, but we also have four 18-year-old children. And one of, our like refri- monsters. one of our refrigerators is in the garage where it should be. Mm-hmm. Who's got room to put two in their kitchen? No. Especially on a policeman's salary. <sighs> Not me. Well, Joyce is bringing in all that blackmail money on the side. I guess so. Anyway, what's a skinflint? Skinflint is an individual that is so cheap that they would skin a flint. And by that... I mean, rub off parts of a flint so thin as to give them to people. Like, instead of saying, oh, yeah, you can use my flint to start the fire, they would shave off a tiny bit of of flint so thin it's like a skin. This is what I read, (laughs) that they would, and sell it to people. Wow. So cheap that they would skin a flint. I'm surprised that that, slang has stuck around because it doesn't even seem to be that clever in the first place. (laughs) And I I only bring it up because when they, um, when Tom and Scott go to talk to Sylvia Burgess in the churchyard, she describes Patrick Pennyman as a skin flint. Yeah. That he's extremely tight with money and everybody knows it. Yes. And so it's really no surprise when we find out later that he's up to some nefarious things to make extra money so or Pat- to save money. Patrick Pennyman is by no means any saint. No. He sells people caskets and then replaces them with basically hardboard. Yeah. He also steals jewelry from people. Right. And sells it and on. And sells it on in Locally, the same town. Stupid, stupid. <laughs> We'll get to stupid criminals. (laughs) So you could be a skinflint and not be a criminal, but he's a criminal skinflint. He's criminally. Yeah. Flint, flint skinned. Skinflintness. (laughs) And I love that Janet is like, I know nothing about this business. I have no idea what goes on down here. And, you know, they've got to have a third floor. There's got to be a basement. Yeah. Where he embalms bodies. Yes. 
So she lives above an embalming room and a chapel of rest, but knows nothing about anything. The only thing that she says at some point in time in the crystal shop when she's getting healed in front of the naked woman with the crystal belly. We'll get there. (laughs) Get there. She says that she couldn't stand touching him. After he was touching dead people all the time. Yeah. She, they didn't have sex anymore because she couldn't stand his hands on her knowing where his hands had been. Now, wouldn't she know that before? I would think so. Unless he opened the funeral home after they were married. Yeah. If in the middle of the conversation, in the middle of a marriage, your partner goes, I'm thinking of going to funeral directing. And it comes out of nowhere. You, you need to have a conversation with that person. You know, and I looked into that because I thought being involved in funerals in any way has got to be a profession that not every significant other would be okay with, right? Exactly. And and so it's got to have a toll on your personal life. And everything I read said the biggest toll on your personal life is that you're basically on call 24-7. You're on call 24-7 and you work days and nights. And weekends. Yeah. And so you've got to have a partner who understands... That And that's why funeral homes are usually kept in the family because the whole family kind of lives that lifestyle and understands that it's a business that doesn't just stop. And probably why the funeral home and their home are connected. Yeah, because it makes sense to be close to your business. You need to be close to your business. Yeah. So uh, why she suddenly develops this thing. But, you know, I don't know. After the police come and talk to her, she is strategically planting reasons for him to be dead, for him to have killed himself all over the place. Yeah. Right. Every time she has a conversation, she's like, oh, and by the way, Patrick was really depressed. Oh, and by the way, we never had sex. Oh, and you know, like (laughs) just in case you wondered why he might have killed himself because I didn't kill him. He killed himself. Here's a reason. Though no one is fooled that he killed himself. Because they're idiots. They don't even leave the knife there. They take it with them. The killers are two things. And you have to understand that these two things are almost their entire motivation. They are crazy. Mm-hmm. And they are stupid. Yes. <laughs> yes. But she says that her The sister, worst kind of stupid people. Yeah. She says her sister and brother-in-law will come. And help. And they're a very efficient couple. They never do. They never show up. Never show up. I don't think so either. Would people refer to us as an efficient couple? I think people have actually referred to us as an efficient couple. I'll take that. We do a lot. That's okay. I mean, I, I'm okay with being referred to as efficient. But we're a loving couple. And a little nutty. Uh, yeah. Obviously. <laughs> Let's hope we're not stupid. because. <laughs> Next thing you know, funeral directors. <laughs> we, we have some extra space. I'm <laughs> not, showing, not showing funerals in the library. So I've got a conflict here with this story. Another one, and it's sensitive, okay? But I, I'm, I've got to say it, and I apologize in advance if I offend anybody. <laughs> okay. But Sylvia Burgess, yes. who maintains... The flowers in the church because they have a traveling vicar who's not there all the time. So Sylvia and Ronald sort of maintain the church yeah. in between services for the community. Which is like 
I totally know that person. And my mother was that person. Absolutely. Sometimes. When you don't have a full-time vicar or priest, yep. and even when you do, there are people in the community who take on the responsibility of maintaining the church, yep. right? I day would, to day. would go to the church with my mother to maintain it. Right. And she's greatly offended by these spiritualists. They are apocryphal to her, right? They're the worst people in the world. They should not be in the village. They should be run out of town. Literally. The vicar should be doing something. Clearly, they are members of a Christian church. Yeah. But she says to Tom, the dead should stay dead. Yes. Unlike Christ. Except Jesus. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's because we were watching it near Easter. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Because she's like, "We, we believe that the dead should stay dead. And I'm like, except Jesus. And I was like, I showed Sarah my note where it says, except Jesus. You'd already thought the same thing. And then we get to see Patrick's body in the morgue and he's got the O face on. Oh, <gasps> he <Okay>. looks shocked. <laughs> that is not how it works. It's that idea that like, if you could look into his eyeball, you would see the last thing he saw. It you is, know. When you are surprised at death, you... You may look surprised at that instant that you die, but hours later, after being in the fridge, your body goes through some changes. Before that, and, and I, <laughs> in my long list of suspicious Googling, looked into this and, whoa, did I find some stuff? So here's the thing. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you about this. Because I had to read it, so you're going to hear it. Except Jesus. This is as bad as that. Honey embalming episode. Okay. Um, okay. So your body, when you die, right? The, all the electrical stimuli stops inside your body and your muscles go flaccid. Yes. Right? Everything just goes, relaxes. Yeah. And this is why, though they never show it in a murder mystery show. You poop. Corpses evacuate. Yes. Because everything that's holding everything in relaxes. Okay. So including your facial muscles. You actually use muscles to close your eyes. Yes. All right. That takes an effort. It's very little effort, but the default position for your eyes is open. Yes. So a cadaver having opened eyes that have to be shut. Yes. That's real. Yeah. That can happen. Yep. Unless they die with their eyes closed. If you're electrified in a crop circle, say. (laughs) Their eyes might be open, right? But it takes absolutely no effort to close them. But the bodies in the cornfield that were electrocuted, I I support that look on their face more because the the muscles have an electrical thing sent through them. They may act differently. You'd think so, but no. No. No, no. <laughs> right. The muscles could be really damaged. Yes. By that electrical interference, whatever, but th- but they'd still relax. Anyway, back to Patrick. Okay. Sorry. So Patrick's shocked face? <gasps> not a thing. No, not a His thing. His eyes might have been open, but anybody would have closed them. Yeah. And his jaw certainly would not have stayed open. Now, rigor mortis sets in. And if the corpse is in a cramped space, like let's say we've put you in a cooler yep. and your legs and your arms are all so cramped Say a casket up. outside. Right. You know, that's too small. Yeah. Right. We put you in the fetal position and then we get you out after rigor mortis has set in and not passed. It's going to be tough to get your muscles to relax. Yeah. To, to, 
you know, like to straighten your joints, we would just have to wait for rigor to pass and then they would relax again. Yes. It's just a chemical reaction. Yes. But rigor holds muscles in the position that they're in. For only a very short time. It doesn't make them tighten up. Yeah. It just makes them stiff. Yeah. So as long as they closed his mouth and his eyes when they found him, they would have stayed closed. So it's George's fault. George apparently thought it would be funny to leave his face like that. I don't know how they don't laugh when they take (laughs) the sheet off of him. I'm impressed with the actor who doesn't blink or close his mouth. God, his eyes and his mouth must have been so dry. Corpse of the week, by far. Absolutely. <laughs> like, when they pull that sheet off, I'm like, corpse of the week, right there. Needless to say, he would not still look shocked, but it does make for good TV that it is. I sometimes, when we talk about these things, get ideas about the episode, and I have an idea about the episode now. Oh, yeah? Like you would change something? No. It is another example that the killers are indeed crazy uh-huh. and st- Stupid. Yeah, we've established that. Okay. They're in a funeral. Uh Uh-huh. They have caskets everywhere. Uh Uh-huh. Why didn't they just bonk, bonk him on the head? Uh Uh-huh. And then put him in a casket and put him in the ground and say, that woman was too close. Elizabeth was too So he ran off. So he ran off. Because he didn't want to get caught. End of sentence. Done. Why didn't they just leave the knife next to him and not hit him on the head? Oh, Why didn't they just, just like so may- partially suffocate him and then slit his wrists no, or no. sneak up on him and slit his wrists no. or anything they, they are, could have done? They are crazy, stupid serial killers, so they have to display the body. Because they, the guy in the railway yard, they drag him to a spot. Yes. Why? <laughs> All right. So let's talk about this because now you brought it up. Okay. okay? So, Patrick is the first person that Ronald and Janet kill. Yes. All right. Jumbly. Why do they want to kill him? Um, because uh, he is not them, right? So, <laughs> no, he's not them. <laughs> so, they're in love and they want to get rid of him. Right. Janet okay. wants to be free from her husband. And she, for some reason, divorce isn't an option or just leaving him is not an option. Nope. She, so, she wants him dead. Okay. 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 He's also a criminal. Yeah. So they want to take over the money-making part of the business, okay. I would assume. Though Janet wants nothing to do with the business. Yeah, she doesn't want to run the funeral home. They also have been to this point screwing around without him knowing. Like, if he found out, that's a reason to kill him in mm. that moment. But they purposely lead him into buying found like she's on the casket naked, mm-hmm. which I'm impressed that she doesn't fall off because I know I would have fallen off and my <laughs> jumblies would have been everywhere. And Ronald sneaks up behind him. Mm-hmm. They intentionally create this moment to kill him. Right. Because they're thrill killers. There you go. Yeah. And then they get a taste for it. And everybody's got to die. Yeah. So why do they kill him the way they do then? Why do they slit his wrists? What's the point? Crazy. They, stupid. They, they are so stupid that they don't think people will realize that he was also hit on the head first. They're so stupid that they don't realize somebody would be suspicious that there's no implement that he used to cut his own wrists. Are they that dumb? The simple and correct answer is yes. <laughs> 
surely they didn't think they were going to get away with it. I'm they didn't surprised do these anything. people have trouble, don't have trouble with doors. They are that stupid. I think they're so, and I'm throwing around the word crazy. I'm sorry if that offends people who are sensitive to labels for mental illness. I do not think they are legitimately mentally ill in any kind of clinical way that we could even remotely be serious about. They are bonkers, nutsy bobo. They are midsummer bonkers. They're midsummer bonkers. And that's not anything you can clinically diagnose. It's out of the ordinary. (laughs) They are loony. But surely they wanted to get away with it. Or they wouldn't have killed two other people who they thought were going to expose them. If they thought they wanted to get rid of it, why would they kill two other people in broad daylight out in the open? In the same impossible way. There's no real mystery for this one because Barnaby, as soon as he thinks of like two things together, they're running out of people, first of all. Yeah. Right. They're... This happens, like, I complain that Midsummer episodes sometimes have too many people, but this one has too few people. Yeah. Right? You With two killers and three people dead, you're running out of people. Yeah. <laughs> There's really only nine, nine or ten characters. Yeah. And two of them are killers and three of them are victims. Yes. <laughs> so that leaves um, Thomas Marr and his sister, uh, uh, and Thomas can't even change his clothes, let alone kill somebody. And uh, Eve Whittle. Yeah. Um, and Rosetta. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, well. And Gris. Yeah. That's pretty much it. To, to, to be the killers or not the killers. It, it's just so weird. Okay. We've covered the weirdness. We've covered that part of the episode. Let's talk about the Crystal Goddess. I know you're dying to. Yeah. So the Crystal Goddess is Thomas Marr's shop, which he never sells a thing in this episode. Mm-mm. Okay. Shopkeepers. The doll shop in the other episode was weird enough. Who goes into this store to buy anything? Now, this kind of store can survive. You know, I mean, there are enough people interested to to keep it afloat, but we don't see any evidence of that in this episode. No. Now, I went into one of these in Glastonbury and was like, "Woo! I didn't know these places existed. Now, Anne works as a healer, a spiritual healer. And so they kind of share the space. She does her healing there. Excuse me. And he sells paraphernalia stuff up front, right? Yes. So they're partners in business. There's a statuette. Of a naked woman kneeling who is obviously pregnant. She has like a geode for a belly, doesn't she? She has a geode baby belly. With water running over with it. With water running over it. Okay. What the hell is going on there? Uh, it's some kind of like mother goddess. Flowing water is peaceful. I mean, I'm not into it, but I can sort of understand it. I guess. I guess. It's a real shop. It was a real shop. Their real business seems to be those baskets of rocks. Yep. It's now uh, a restaurant. <laughs> oh, okay. So, But you noticed all kinds of stuff on the storefront, right? So on the storefront, there's a sign that says, um, meditations with the crystal goddess, $8.99. You get two meditations per cassette. So they're selling meditations on cassette. Okay. Okay. They got lots of crystals and rocks and candles and all that stuff. And then there's a moment where you get a good look at the two advertisements in the window. 
Mm-hmm. So the window has a big blue star. There's pictures of whales. Yeah. But there's a, like a book jacket and some other kind of promotional poster. Yeah. And this would be funny if the shop is kind of a caricature of itself. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, you know, these are probably props, but no. The first one is a sign for a new album called The Sound Medicine Man by Tim Wheater. Okay. Tim is a flautist. Okay. And a sound healer. Okay. Okay. This is not made up. It's real. It's a real person. It's a real person. I watched Tim Weeder live performance. All right. He's much better on record. <laughs> you can listen to Sound Medicine Man on Spotify if you wish. He's got a couple of records. Oh. But he's kind of fallen off the face of the earth. The healing flautist has gone out of, out of fashion. Yeah. His website. Can you guess when his website was last updated? 2002. 2016. Hey. So, so it's only four years. Only four years. But uh, yeah, he, uh, he hasn't released an album or anything since then. I'm not sure what happened to Tim. Tim, if you're out there, let us know. Yep. And then there's another sign that says Ringmaster System Operation on these premises. And I went for a deep dive. Into is that the, a security system? No. Oh. No, no. Ringmaster is metallic clay. Oh. So what you do is you create a ring or a pendant or a piece of jewelry out of this clay. Then you bake it. Okay. Then like you, Fimo. Okay. Then you polish it and it looks like metal. Oh. Okay. So you get these intricate ring designs because of it. So like metallic polymer clay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That might be kind of cool. I watched like four videos on it. Well, you can tell me how do you do it then. I'm crafty. You mold it like clay and then you bake it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then you polish it. Okay. But whoa, we're missing something. The, the sign behind Thomas as he goes into the store is for a book. And the book is called Angel Medicine. All right. I thought they had me there, but no, no, no. On the top part of the book, on the cover, is written Doreen Virtue. That's the author's name? Yes. Isn't it Dr. Doreen Virtue? Yes. Or Doreen Virtue, PhD? Doreen Virtue, PhD. Now, Sarah's a PhD. I basically did all the work for my PhD and got a master's. We are well involved in the academic side of college both in the UK and in yes. the States, right? So anyone who says PhD behind their name, I'm like, oh, where did they get their PhD and what's their uh, dissertation? Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Boy, did I fall into the Doreen virtue rabbit hole. I'm guessing hers isn't real. Am she I has right? a BA and an MA in social work. Okay. So... Legitimate. She, completely she does legitimate. Have, have credentials in that. Let me read you the blurb from this book. Okay. While researching her book, Angel Medicine, Doreen Virtue uncovered the methods used in the ancient healing temples of Atlantis. That 
long sentence exists on Amazon. How? Did she go scuba diving or something? Sweet baby Jesus. Wow. Don't bring Jesus into this. He has nothing to do with it. She began taking her audience members through the medication meditation that could experience the various trips to the Atlantean healing temple. Oh, the results are so powerful. Audiences began to her to have her record the meditation. I imagine that Atlantis was if it had been real. I, I don't think it was, but if it had been real, it was peopled by, you know, the cartoon versions of sea monkeys on the box for your sea monkeys. Yeah. But they look like that. Yes. <laughs> the Angel Medicine CD is a deep cleaning medica- meditation designed to release stored emotional pain. Working with archangels, you'll be able to cut the ethical cord of painful relationships based on past release, past life traumas and troublesome vows of poverty or suffering. Open your chakras with the help of the Atlantean crystal healing bed and increase your desire to exercise and eat healthy. Wow. That's everything. Wow. So it's cleansing, it's health, it's weight and exercise. It's, uh, trauma, it's bad relationships, both now and in former lives. It's Atlantis and crystals and meditation. And I, I'll I'll leave a link in the show notes. It's about- like they put. It's like they um, scraped a bunch of descriptions of spiritual books and put them in a jumble and like had a piece of software generate a book description. Yes. But still, no PhD mentioned. Okay. Okay. I did find one reference that Doreen Virtue, PhD, is a spiritual doctor of psychology and fourth generation metaphysician working with angelic, elemental, and ascended master realms in writings and workshops. I call bullshit. Yeah. Spiritual PhD. Give yourself whatever title you want. Yeah. I mean, call yourself the, you know, Mumu Guru if you want to. But if you're going to use legitimate titles like that. Now you can get a PhD in, in theology, theology, in psychiatry, in psychology. Folklore. Yep. All those things. Yep. Social work. Yep. All that stuff. Hers is in bullshit. Yes. <laughs> now, Doreen. Is that even her real name? Whose last name is Virtue? Well, is that a real name? Doreen has had a change now. Oh, she's not doing that anymore? No. Dark angels aren't working with her no, anymore? Oh. No, she is now completely born-again Christian. Now, is she a UK-based person? No, she is a mere 80 miles from our house. What? Yes. Where does she live? She lives in Louisville. We could go see her. We could go see her. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's tangential to Midsummer at best, but come on. She has, and I mean this in the nicest way, some spectacularly wacky videos (laughs) on Amazon now. So she's still producing content, even though she's 
become a Christian. She has posted videos this year. Oh. Yeah. From her study where she reads the Bible every day. I'm just imagining that moment, right? Where, okay, she's got, she's got this revelation. Well, she says the revelation came when an angel came to her specifically. Okay. And there are lots of people out there who have religious revelations and change their lives dramatically. Yep. More power to them. That's great. Right? Yep. Epiphany happened. Right. So she has this religious epiphany and then she looks around her house and she must have had a gigantic yard sale. I would have wanted to go to that yard sale because you could have got some weird. I bet you you could have got a a, a naked woman kneeling pregnant belly goddess fountain. fountain. Yeah. Yeah. Because you can't have that stuff around. No. No. Once you've. (laughs) The videos now are just her and her study with books because she's she's an academic. Oh, yeah. You listen to the CD. I played some of it for Sarah. And it is Looney Tunes. Again, it's like jumbled words. It's like <sighs> random sentence generator. And all of this part about daddy and daddy issues. Oh, it's weird. Yeah. It's so creepy. You say your father, like if, if a psychologist is working with you on issues that you had as a child with your parents, they would say, I realize that you had traumatic experiences with your father. Your parent. With your parent. Your dad. They do not say with your daddy. Daddy is. Yucky. Over the line. If you're over five, you don't say that word. And (laughs) it's all about. Unless you mean something completely different. Cutting the symbolic and real cord between you and daddy. And my first thought is. There's no There's umbilical no for dad. Umbilical for dad. Wouldn't it be weird if there was? Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> being pregnant would be completely different. Like there'd be no question about who the father was. <laughs> you couldn't get more than like five feet away from each other until the baby was born. That would be weird. Maybe that's angels. Man, Maybe. we are so far off this episode now. <laughs> I spent more time researching this episode about stuff that wasn't about this episode. (laughs) Oh, good Lord. Okay, so they go to the train yard because Gris works there. Gris, who used to be um, uh, Patrick Pennyman's partner in the funeral home. James and the Giant Hammer. Who decided, I'm not going to be a funeral director anymore. Now I'm going to go work on trains. Yeah, kind of as a hobby, he doesn't, I don't know if he gets paid for it, but we have a train festival. I, I think he probably gets paid for it, but it's, prob- it's probably more of a passion job than a money job. Yeah. That he restores old trains. Yeah. And that's okay. Yeah. And it, it is a legitimate place for antique and classic trains, and that's great. Now, as I've said this before, my dad worked on trains, so I'm knowledgeable of trains. Um, the Swascom 699 steam engine is what's in this episode. Mm. I believe it's the only blue one. I think there's only four left in England. The pictures of it online show the guy who's driving it in the episode right beside it. Like, clearly that's his train. Yeah. And Barnaby mentioned something that I had never heard of before, which is, he said, before the beaching. Yeah, because Gris is explaining to people that with just a few more miles of track, they could be reconnected to the main lines and not ha- because right now it's kind of like a hobby 
line for tourists and stuff. It's not really a, a functioning train line, right? Yeah. Okay. And he says that's because of beaching. Yes. And what's beaching? The beaching cuts, or also known as the beaching acts, were a reduction of route network and restructuring of the railways in Great Britain, according to a plan outlined in two reports. When? This is 1963 and 1965, and both of these ports reports were written by a guy named Richard Beeching. Is that because of cars? Uh, probably because of highways. Yeah. But this is massive. The first re- report identified 2,363 stations and 5,000 miles of railway lines to be closed. That's 55% of stations. Wow. It must have had a ginormous effect on England. Yeah. It just basically forced everybody to cars. Yeah. If you were a farmer and you used to put your produce on a train to take it to market, now you've got to drive it on a truck to another train station further away or drive it directly to market, I would guess. Yeah. It, it moved away from people on trains to freight on trains. Right. That's that's really what happened in it. And I, I think it kind of happened everywhere. Yeah, I think so too. I know it happened in Canada similarly. Mm-hmm. Now, it didn't happen as drastically. The steam engine and, and railways born out of England and spread to the rest of the world, of course, needed some sort of tightening. And that's called the beaching. Huh. So that's why this train station is no longer connected to the main lines. Yes. Because it's one of the ones that was cut in that way. Yes. But somebody took it and decided to maintain it and restore it and yeah. keep it alive yep. to keep that, that tradition. And that's James. James and the giant hammer. <laughs> he's a suspect, but he's clearly does not want to have anything to do with Patrick or his business. He, also he got has, out of there for a reason. He has fantastic hair. He does. He does. He has, uh, you know, as a man with a full head of hair. In his 50s. I appreciate other men with full heads of hair. <laughs> and coveralls. Yeah. <laughs> and so there's that James works at the train station, but then there's also a, a festival there later in the episode that everybody shows up at, including Janet and her widow's weeds wearing her black, right? Because it's supposed to cheer her up or whatever. Elizabeth buys a book there. Do you know what book she buys? No. The Fisher King book. Oh. It's the book from the Fisher King that she has in her hand. With the spearhead on the front? With the spearhead and the Isn't chalice. Isn't that convenient? Isn't that convenient? Um, at the same festival, we see Ronald being gross with more women. He has misinterpreted Me Too into... Ooh, Me Too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he gross... Okay. I remember what it was like in 2004. I'm not that old. This was unacceptable. Yeah. It's always been unacceptable. He was groping women out in the open. At choir practice. In front of his wife. In front of the rest of the choir. Yeah, just bad, 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 bad. And then flirting with with Anne at the, like, he he just, he's disgusting. He may be one of my least favorite characters. Yeah, he's not even gross in a fun way. Yeah, he's, he's manipulative, re- crazy, bonkers, stupid. 
and criminally sexually harasses women. Yeah. And he says to Anne, you know, he's like, hey, I can come over for some healing. <laughs> and then, he, yeah. And she's like, well, wait a minute. No, I don't do that. And what would your wife say if she knew? And he says she wouldn't believe you. Yeah, he totally gaslights his people. So too. he's cocky about it, too. Oh, it's just horrible. Just bragging about what he gets away with. He's just so nasty. Scott gets his stones read by Anne. Yeah. And she points out this peacock ore. Yes. It's called Bornite. Yes. It's actually, it's a, a mix of copper ore and iron sulfide. Yep. Uh, and it's, it, it's one of the kinds of stones that are, are mined for copper because it has copper in it. And it looks pretty. It is pretty. It's called peacock ore because it develops a patina on the outside that is iridescent. Do you know why it's called Bornite? No. Because Bornite is named for Ignatius von Born, which is the best name ever. <laughs> An Austrian mineralogist and paleontologist. But it's found in Tasmania and Chile and Peru and Montana. Oh. Places that are also known for copper. Yeah. Of course. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Scott doesn't seem too excited about it. No, he doesn't. There's also a setup of a joke here where he says, she says the mineral he's chosen is for people who are leaving. And Cully gets to go, oh, why why are Cully and Scott in this episode? I don't know. Well, I do know. I don't know about Cully. Cully's useless. But I know why Scott's there. Scott's there to show off how smart he is. And he is smart. Because when they interview Janet and Ronald, he absolutely flips them on one another. He manipulates them both, which is not hard to do because they are stupid and crazy. Loony. But his technique is good. Yes, because they both ask what the other person says, and Scott implies that they told them everything. Yeah, quite a bit. Yeah. Quite a bit. So Elizabeth gets killed. She gets hit with a shovel, and then her wrist gets slit on her doorstep. Yeah, why is she broad, crazy, stupid? Yeah. (laughs) Right after, like, Joyce could be sitting in her car and see it. And all because Patrick stole her mother's cameo. Yeah. And I think Elizabeth is on to the fact that Janet is telling Rosetta things about people who are recently deceased. Yeah. For the spiritualist meetings. And that freaked uh, Elizabeth's mom out. And then she died. Okay. I have another example of things here. But this is not a good, this is not enough motive to kill somebody. No. Okay. Ronald is unhappy in his marriage. Mm -hmm. She is unhappy in her marriage. Mm -hmm. They both love money. Mm -hmm. Okay. They could easily manipulate Patrick Mm -hmm. to steal a whole bunch of money. From him. Right. Okay. Because she, he trusts her. So obviously she could take all that money. Right? Yeah. And they could disappear together and be together. Right. And no one would have to die. But that's no fun. Again. That's not what they want. <laughs> they're crazy. Because they're crazy. Yes. What they want is the thrill. Yes. What they want is to be doing something that they are not supposed to be doing. That and is. And getting away with it. Their whole thrill. That whole conversation on the stairs where he coaches her how to act Mm -hmm. is all about how crazy they are. That is what they like. Yeah. The 
there's lots of different ways to look at and I'm going to call them serial killers because they kill three people in quick succession for bad motives, right? Not for self-protection or yeah. because these people have directly wronged them and they need revenge. Their their motive is is vapid at best, right? So I'm I'm just going to call them serial killers. Yeah. There's lots of different ways to categorize serial killers, but the the simplest way is to categorize them by product or process, right? So like Dahmer was a product killer because what he actually wanted was was the body. Yeah. And he he had to kill him to get there, right? Yep. And there's process killers like BTK who actually enjoy the process of killing somebody. And once they're dead, they're no longer interesting. Okay. And the buildup to that. Right. I think they are both. Yeah. Right. Process because they clearly enjoy thinking about killing somebody. Yes. And they giggle to themselves before they do it. Yes. And then they kill them in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. None. And that is not going to convince anybody that they actually committed suicide, right? But they're also product killers because the outcome of those people being taken out of the picture is beneficial to them in, in ways that we don't think is worth it, but, but they, that's their motive. They also get off on walking around knowing they're the killers. Yes. And smirking at one another and winking and getting away with it. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. So they're both, which makes them really evil. I mean, if they hadn't been caught, I think they would have killed random people and enjoyed it. Well, they, James, by the way, this is the first time we're talking about James. Yes. (laughs) Yes. One of the victims is killed for not a really good reason. His name's John. Yeah, sorry, John. John Whittle. John. Played by Philip Martin Brown. Yeah. He's killed because he was going to blackmail them. Which? It wouldn't really work. No. Like, what's he going to do? Like, he's going to say, they were fooling around. And, his, and like, everybody's going to go, ooh. Anyway. Anyways. Yeah. Like, I just, oh. They would have started killing everybody. And, I, then, and then Barnaby and Scott would have been left alone, alone in a room with them. And <laughs> Barnaby and Scott would be like, well, it's not us. I think Thomas Marr would have been their next victim because he was involved in a funeral home and is volunteering yeah. to help her. Yeah, and- or they would have made it. The best thing they do is try to make Thomas Marr look guilty. Yeah. He's the, he and, and um, Scarlett both are the red herrings of yeah. the episode. Yeah. And Scarlett's not flawless. She's paying to get information about people that she then pretends to know. Yeah. Right. So she's a charlatan with Charlotte. <gasps> there you go. It's Rosetta, not Charlotte. Scarlet. I called her Scarlet, yeah, didn't I? Rosetta. Rosetta. I don't know why I want, I want to call her Scarlet all know. the time. Maybe she was Mrs. Scarlet in the cards or something. Um, but Rosetta is a charlatan, right? Yeah, so she could have been the next victim yeah. if she wanted to out them or blackmail them, though she's just as guilty. Yeah. Eve could have been a victim if they thought she knew that Rosetta was buying that information and was going to out Rosetta and them. I, I truly think they would not have stopped. No. And they're not even sorry when they're caught. When they confess, they're both like reminiscing about the good old days. Like, oh, yeah, that was fun, wasn't it? (laughs) So in my notes about the confession, because that's where we're at now, I have all in capital letters. That sure is a lot of naked Ronald. Wow. He is a brave, brave actor. Julian Curry. 
is his name. Yeah. And uh, he is 72. Now, or he was. When he filmed this episode. 72. Wow. And a very brave man. I, I don't know if I was ready to be naked on <clears throat> screen at 18, let alone 72. Were you ever ready to be naked on screen? No. Is there something I need to know? No. Okay. No. <laughs> nope. There has got to be some good stories behind the scenes because Mary Jo Randall, who plays Janet, and Julian Curry, who plays Ronald, they they clearly had a lot of fun filming this yes. because like when they're pretending to be drunk on the stairs, they are genuinely laughing. Yeah. They're enjoying the parts that they're playing. Absolutely. When they kill Patrick um, and she's on the casket and then he hits them over the head and they look at each other, they laugh. They do the same thing after they kill Elizabeth. Yeah. But in that scene where they kill Patrick and she's on the casket, she's got a sheet on. Yeah. We see Ronald from behind hit like she Patrick. She could have a bathing suit on. She could. Yeah. She could have like a strapless doodad on. Yeah. He is naked. But naked. Literally. He could have a sock on. <laughs> he might have a sock on, but that is the most he can have on. But that would still be more Ronald than you want to see. But good on him for being so brave. But uh, those two must have gotten along really well or that scene would have never worked because she yeah. is looking at him full on buck naked yeah. and she's and she's laughing <laughs> and he's laughing. And wow, I would woo, uncomfortable. So then comes the worst part of the episode, the absolute worst part of the episode. And it is reminiscent of another worst part of an episode. You mean poorly written part? Yeah. Okay. Which You're is talking about the, the closing scene with Joyce in closing bed. Closing scene with Joyce in bed. Okay. Where she is somehow startled awake. There's flames flickering on her face and she hears screams. Right. Right. Which is supposed to remind us of Charlotte, who is Rosetta's uh, spirit guide, who was a little girl who died when her dress went up in flames, right? Yeah. In the magazine, it says the following. The final scene of Things That Go Bump in the Night shows Joyce sitting up in bed, hearing screams. She sees a flicker of flames depicting Rosetta's spirit guide, Charlotte. Now, we don't see it, but we see the flame light reflected on Joyce's face. Who was burnt to death. Mm -hmm. The original take of the scene was deemed too scary, and, toned down ver and a toned-down version was shot to replace it. I need to see that scene. Desperate. What do you think it was? I, I think they probably showed a little girl on and flames. Ah, so we got to see what Joyce was imagining she could see. Yeah. So not only is Joyce's friend killed, which is sad, but she's also haunted by this image of this little girl dying in such a tragic way. But then she hugs her, Barnaby, it's all over and forgotten. Oh, yeah. If I had a bad dream and... I could just cuddle up to you. That would make it better. I guess. I don't like it. <laughs> it's, it doesn't make any sense because no. she, she doesn't talk about, oh, this, her spirit guide just that really bothers me. Like, it just sticks with me. Like, I would imagine her more thinking about the blood on the carpet in Elizabeth's front door. Yeah. Like, that would be far more of an image that would stick with me. Barnaby and crime scene tours with yeah. joyce hey joyce come on i, I what, 
the body's gone anyway. That's fine. You know, Lots I know it's your friend's blood right here on the carpet, <laughs> but, but do you see anything interesting? You know, where might the killer have been hiding while you were standing right here? Vulnerable. Uh, that would have been the nightmare. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Best corpse of the episode. Patrick. Patrick by far. He's not a very good actor. If you watch Patrick, he has kind of uh, problems with some blocking. Yes. And some problems with facial things. He stands too close to people. But he is good at being dead. He's good dead body. He's good when he's on the floor. He's good when he's in the morgue. Yep. They prioritized one skill over his other acting skills, and they did it right. Yep. After, After the, the credits. Yeah. Joyce is never going to have a friend again. Never <laughs> going to have a friend again. What do you think Rosetta and Eve actually do? Because Rosetta says, I guess we're going to have to dissolve the church. Yeah. Right. But what do you think they really do? Do you I, think they just go somewhere else and set up again? Because now know. Eve's not got John tying her down. She doesn't really seem all that upset that he's dead. I think she probably understands that Rosetta's a fake at this point. But yet she doesn't seem angry about that. No, but they because obviously it's just move a little, on. It's just a little help. There's no justice for with Rosetta. No. For the people who she's taken advantage yeah. of. No, no, she gets away with it. She gets away. How about the Mars? How about Anne and, and um, uh, Thomas? Well, I do know what happened. Okay. Uh, they, uh, the Crystal Goddess shop closed. Mm-hmm. And it is now a restaurant. Okay. So that, that's what happened. They closed down the shop and they're a restaurant now. Let me tell you something else. Yeah. <laughs> I just think this is funny. So I, I, you know, I always do the actor research. Yeah. There was very little interesting about the people who played parts in this episode. But James Griss, the actor who plays him, who has the good hair, is Gary Cooper. Gary with two R's. Yes. He was in a love joy. Okay. Way back when. And his character's name is Kevin the Ponce. Kevin the Ponce. <laughs> See, I think. So apparently he didn't play a brain trust in yep. that episode. I think James and Sylvia get together. Oh, no. Syl- nobody wants Sylvia. She's an old pucker face. I don't know. She- she's just going to be so sad. I feel bad for her. I don't think she's going to be sad. He's going to go to prison. She's going to know exactly what he's like, and she's going to judge him hard. Yes, I can see that. And be good riddance. Absolutely. So... That is things that go bump in the night. Yep. Uh, you can find us on Midsummer Maniacs on Twitter, Instagram, and email, and Reddit. Yeah. Now. Check out Reddit. If you're not a Reddit user, if you've heard things about it, like it's a big scary place or something, it, it isn't. It isn't. Just. Well, it's like a city. There are parts of it you don't want to go to. Right. But. But the Midsummer subreddit is a great place to start. Yep. It's a friendly place, we promise. Yep. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, there's also the Facebook groups for Midsummer and Acorn that we're on. And uh, anywhere else we find maniacs, we hang out with them. What's our episode for next week? Episode 37, Season 8, Episode 2, Dead in the Water. It's time to put on our fancy dress and go to the regatta. Sounds good. Is it an episode with lots of boats? Yeah. Well, until then, be well, maniacs. Take care of yourself. Take care of the people around you. Wash your hands. Wear a mask. 
Be good to each other. Yeah. We'll see you next week. Let's not fight each other. Let's fight the virus. <laughs> That's what you keep telling the kids when they argue and they're going to kill you. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. Eat your hand. Eat it. Eat it. Eat it. Eat your hand.